Well, I, I think one way we could look at it is our current sports model. If you think about how every sport has been developed, and most people don't really take the time to look at it, but think about how they used to like to use the example of Little League Baseball. It was actually created in Pennsylvania, not far from where I am, by an uncle whose uh, two nephews came to visit, and he was very disappointed that they didn't know anything about baseball. So I said, all right, here, here was the great opportunity. Did he actually take the time to teach the kills, to teach these kids the fundamental skills of batting and throwing and, and set up like little almost what we think of now as field day competitions to see how they're doing? No. He and his friend took a year to figure out exactly how much smaller to make the baseball diamond, what size to make the bat, what size to make the ball, how to teach the kids exactly how to play baseball just like the adults did. So he did what we always say not to do. Don't make kids miniature adults. This is the Fizzette Cast. Welcome to another episode of the Phys Ed Cast. My name is Nathan Horn from iPhysEd.com, and today my guest is Rick Howard. Rick Howard is currently pursuing his doctoral degree from Rocky Mountain University of Health Professions in Health Promotion and Wellness. He's on the faculty of the Westchester University and the Director of Fitness and Sports Performance at the Wilmington Country Club in Delaware. He formed the National Strength and Conditioning Association, NSCA, Long-Term Athletic Development Special Interest Group, and has presented on youth fitness topics nationally and internationally. He has written or co-written journal articles and position statements on youth training and long-term athlete development. He contributed a column to the NSCA Coach Journal and was co-editor of the NSCA Strength and Conditioning Journal, special topic issue on youth. In his spare time, Rick is a master's level strongman competitor. Today's episode, I'm going to chat with Rick about the idea of long-term athletic development, what it means, how it affects children, and how it can relate to physical education. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Rick Howard. All right, so I'm here today with Rick Howard. Rick, thank you so much for joining me on the Phys Ed cast. For those of you who don't know who you are and the work that you do, can you just give us a little bit of background, a bit of an introduction to, to yourself? Sure, Nathan, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, my name is Rick Howard, and you could always identify with me on social media. Several people do, but my background especially comes from uh, the world of sports and physical education. So I think it's kind of a unique combination compared to uh, some others who have been in the field. I, I have been a physical education teacher. I've been a personal trainer for a number of years. I worked as the director of athletics in the school district of Philadelphia for a number of years as part of my role as well. Uh, currently, I'm an assistant professor at Westchester University, and I run the fitness center at Wilmington Country Club in Wilmington, Delaware. So to be fair to say, you're a fairly busy, busy man. Yeah, I'm fairly busy, but the, I think the most exciting part is that all of the different pieces of the puzzle fit so well together in terms of our conversations and, and what we're going to talk about that it doesn't feel like I'm busy. 
feels like I'm on the single mission trying to get uh, what I'm trying to get accomplished accomplished. Yeah, I think that's something that has has struck me as I've sort of got to to know more about you and the work that you do uh, online is just the that sort of holistic nature of, of what you do and that you are sort of touching on so many different areas and so many different parts of that physical education, sport, fitness uh, bubble that that really it's it's um, it's a unique viewpoint. I think I think a lot of people are very highly specialized in in one area, but I feel like you have a, a very uh, broad range of, of skills and knowledge and, and uh, I think that can only help in terms of the contributions that you're making towards uh, towards all of those fields. So uh, one of the things that I know that uh, you're very, I guess, big on and, and I, when I've come across the work that you're doing through, through your website is that idea of youth-centered sport and fitness. So uh, what, what exactly do you mean when you, when you say youth-centered sports and fitness? Well, I, I think one way we could look at it is our current sports model if we think about how every sport has been developed, and most people don't really take the time to look at it, but think about, I used to like to use the example of Little League Baseball. It was actually created in Pennsylvania, not far from where I am, by an uncle whose uh, two nephews came to visit, and he was very disappointed that they didn't know anything about baseball. So I said, all right, here, here was the great opportunity. Did he actually take the time to teach the kills, to teach these kids the fundamental skills of batting and throwing and, and set up like little almost what we think of now as field day competitions to see how they're doing. No, he and his friend took a year to figure out exactly how much smaller to make the baseball diamond, what size to make the bat, what size to make the ball, how to teach the kids exactly how to play baseball just like the adults did. So he did what we always say not to do. Don't make kids miniature adults. That's exactly how most every one of our sports has been designed. So it's really an adult-focused model rather than a youth-focused model. So we say, why not give the sports back to the kids? That'll make it fun again. And we look at it like, oh, my goodness, sports, you know, the adults have really killed youth sports. Well, it was set up for them in the first place because it follows their model of success and competition and making the elite team and all the rest of that. You know, kids, they, the research always indicates they just want to have fun. They don't care about the score. They would just as soon play a game of baseball like we used to do in physical education. You could play mat ball. They could run in either direction. They don't always have to run counterclockwise. They don't really care about that. So why not set it up so the, the other thing the kids like are more scoring opportunities? How many times do you see a baseball game? And I'm not picking on baseball. It's a great sport. But, I mean, sometimes it'll be a two-to-one score. Well, if kids love opportunities to score, why would you have a sport where kids only end the game two-to-one? What happens to those kids who don't get to play? There's no way set up so that they get the opportunity to play as well. Uh, so many kids don't really grow at the same rate as other kids. I was what was called a late bloomer too. It took me a long time to fully develop. But given the opportunity, those kids tend to do a really good job. So why not set a sports program up so that all kids get to play, participate, figure it out, and have a good time? And then, you know, you have to do it in a way that doesn't look like you're intentionally making it so that every kid does get a participation trophy. How do you set it up so everyone gets to develop at their own skill level and progress in that direction? That, that's the tough part. Yeah, I guess it's something that uh, you see a lot in, in physical education programs and definitely in sort of uh, community coaching settings where, yeah, it's, you know, coaches or phys ed teachers are saying to kids, well, that doesn't, that doesn't look right or that's not how the game's played um, and sort of trying to impose that adult model um, onto the kids. So um, I'm, uh, obviously there's 
there's those pathways that that people want to, especially here in North America, they want to have their kids lead to that um, elite sport level. Um, what I guess what changes do we need to make to to sort of try and get people away from that um, that sort of pathway and, and make them realize that there are multiple other pathways and opportunities for kids to to excel in in sport or excel in just being physically active um, and stuff like that like what how do you see that change happening or, or what steps do we need to do to sort of make that change that's a great question it's the million dollar question yeah, it is and i think it really comes back to uh, the concept that's being promoted now of long-term athletic development so the kids really get that opportunity that's not peak by friday it's not who's the u10 softball champs because at the end of the day those who are the U10 softball champs quite often are not even playing anymore by the time they're 14. You know, 75% of kids drop out of sports by the time they're 12. So something isn't going right. You know, they show the statistics and everybody always picks on video games, for example, but they show that close to 97, 98% of all kids continue to play video games. So they figured out a way to engage kids, to make it fun for kids, to make them want to keep participating. Sports has not. Um, LTAD is kind of a, a model that allows that to happen by thinking long term, first of all, that it's not all about how you're doing now. It's really can you actually focus on the whole child so that they get all the experiences and engagements that they need in order to be successful and a successful mover for their whole life, not just to be on the U12 championship team or even to peak in high school or in college, but to want to keep playing sports always. Sure, there is a path for elite performance. There needs to be. Just like there is for elite performance in maths, just like there is for an elite performance in a lot of subjects so the kids can go that way. However, that's not the pathway that everybody follows. In sports, we set it up that if you don't follow that path, you really don't get much of an opportunity to play. And that's unfortunate. Uh, the other part about LTAD, long-term athletic development, is athletic. And that focuses on the word athleticism more than an athlete. Because a lot of times, especially in PE, you mentioned the word athlete, and all of a sudden funding goes out the window. Uh, a lot of times the way the construction of the curriculum is put together changes and they don't want to have the old sports model focused curriculum. So that's kind of taken a, a turn. So how do we actually develop those skills that make an athlete an athlete? The American Medical Association had a really good way of framing this, I think, back in 2003. is said it's not just the physical, but it's the social, the psychological and other elements that are all put in together to tell whether a, a child is actually physically and mentally capable of participating in that particular program. So that's huge when a lot of parents are saying, well, I want my kid to play up. My kid's really, really good. I can just tell he or she's going pro. Well, you know what? Physically at that point, they might have the skills because they're an early mature, but they might not be psychologically ready. So by putting that child into a different framework actually is not doing the child any justice in terms of long-term growth. So we need to look at that and we need to look back from a physical education perspective. How do we develop all of the fundamental motor skills, turn them into, now there's a huge term that they're using functional motor skills, foundational motor skills, but basically are we teaching motor skills anymore? Because most of the movement that we create is in the sagittal plane. It basically just moves straight forward. So how do we create movement for kids? All different planes of movement and, and the really cool part is it gets back to play. You know, you look at schools and, and recess gets cut. Physical education has to be a little bit more structured. In a lot of school districts, they've kind of structured it more toward fitness gram testing and performance, which is unfortunate. We'll talk about that later. But 
we really don't give kids the tools they need, they should be able to decide what lifetime fitness activities are. We've created an adult model, again, of what lifetime fitness is for kids. These are the few activities that we're going to pigeonhole you into because we said so. And if you look at it, what's the need for PE? Look at what some of those activities are. Walking, running, jogging, like really? Bicycle riding, tennis and golf, and swimming. Like, holy cow, almost none of those were taught in physical education. Where's the need? We have to really recreate that need of excitement in physical education for all the fundamental motor skills to give kids the tools they need so that they can pick what they want to do. Because I think if we put it back on the kids, then it'll be much more exciting. I had a post the other day, something that drives me nuts, with the physical activity pyramid. The base of the pyramid is adult-focused ideas that they think will help us be more active. One of them is more chores. How many adults and children are going to go, wow, all I have to do is more chores, I'll be more physically active. That's fantastic. It doesn't work like that. There are a lot of the activities that are on there. Yeah, we know they're good for us, but most of us don't really like them. You know, I give presentations and I talk to phys ed teachers, physical therapists, sports coaches, whatever group it is, even my students. And I'll say, all right, by a show of hands, how many of you love to do aerobic fitness work as your mainstay in your fitness program? And I always get the data back, it's about 12 to 15%. Wow, if it's that low, if that's really what does not drive you to do well, why would we focus on that? Yeah, cardiovascular fitness is important, but there's so many ways of developing it. And kids' sports and activities where they get to repetitively keep moving around, that's a great way. Playing games, doing all those things. People love that, and it's a great way to improve overall fitness, including cardiovascular fitness. We just have to be more creative and, and I hate using the term think outside the box because if we're thinking, it should be outside the box. But how do we actually put that together for kids through our phys ed programs, through our sports programs, through our recreation programs, even in personal training? You know, it's, it's unfortunate in a way that the way our system is working, I actually have personal training clients who are 10. That shouldn't be. I shouldn't have that. But, you know, sometimes those kids either are not getting what they need to get in their other program they don't have a social structure in place because the parents have them so overscheduled that, oh, my gosh, I'm part of that overscheduling. So I, I try to work in that same context just to make it fun. We play lots of games. I encourage them to bring other kids with them so that they can actually have a social aspect to it. All the great stuff that's in phys ed is getting cut because I think sometimes phys ed thinks a little far too outside itself about how to really engage communities and people together rather than bringing in the whole community. So, sure. Yeah, I think you've, you've uh, like I said at the start, you've touched on a lot of different areas there and, and sort of it is so intertwined and interconnected and, and trying to just focus on one specific area, like you said, is 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 a problem. It, it needs to be a, a more holistic community approach to things. Um, one of the things that you mentioned a few times there is lo- that idea of long, long-term athletic development. Um, I guess for those people, because I think there are people out there listening that may have no idea what, what that even means. So is it, is it just a collection of words put together, another buzz term, or what is long-term athletic development? Why is it, why is it important? Well, you know, um, thanks to Isvan Ballier in Canada, I, I think he's very excited to hear that, no, it is not just a buzzword that's uh, quickly going away. He is a, a sport coach up in Canada who kind of noticed that things needed to happen. And essentially he started his as a pathway for Olympic sport development. But then in Canada, they also created a partner organization called Active for Life. 
So they have a group called Sport for All, and then they have Active for Life. So the two of them kind of work together to create the developmental pathways for kids of all ages. But rather than thinking that, all right, so I'm on a U8 team, I just need to learn how to run the bases better. Or I, I just need to learn how to kick the ball better to my teammates so that we can score more. He went back and took a look at all of the different aspects of athletics per se and how do you actually train those factors in the best possible way. So you have to kind of set it up by chronological age or age and years of kids. So we would have a phase for like learn to train. So learning how to exactly do the different activities roughly around 8 to 12, train to train. So once you really identify a sport or an activity that you like, he would put that together a little bit later and then train to compete train to win, and then try to give back at the end of your sporting path and remain physically active. So we created a long-term athletic development position paper with the National Strength and Conditioning Association that looked more at the physical side because a lot of these models that are out there really looked a lot at the technical and tactical side of the sport, not so much at the physical development side of the child. So we have 10 pillars to go along with the paper. Uh, the fifth one, I think, is the central one. The central tenet is that the health and well-being of child is the central tenet of long-term athletic development. But the kids should sample a wide variety of sports and activities throughout childhood and adolescence, which means we really need to balance our structured play, which is sports, semi-structured play where kids have a little direction, usually think of recess in that context, and then free play, just the time for kids to go out and play and do the things that kids should do that now that they're so overscheduled, they don't have time for that. And we're starting to really see the negative consequences of not giving kids time to play on their own. So they have, they don't make as good decisions. They don't learn how to resolve conflicts with one another so well. And they actually reduce their fundamental motor skill capabilities because they can't figure out, they don't get that freedom to figure out in an open space what to do and how to do it. So that part's unfortunate. Uh, the other part that we look at is that the fundamental motor skill development and muscle strength development in kids is ultimately important for their overall ability to compete in physical activity or to do physical activity throughout their life course. It's kind of like uh, Vern Seafeld back in the 80s when, he, when we were looking at the sports models for physical education. He had what he called the proficiency barrier, that by the time you're about 10 years old, if you didn't have good fundamental motor skills and movement patterns, you were less likely to be physically active, which makes sense. And if you move that context and you say, all right, in math, if you're not on grade level when you're 10 years old, in your fifth grade, you're not on grade level in math, you're going to have a lot less likelihood of being successful in math. So, you know, I'll ask a lot of participants when I give presentations, like, how many of you really love your math skills? Very few raise their hand, like, that's why you're not doing math. So we have to figure out how do we get those skills to the kids that they can take those as long as they want to. So our, our model really looks more at developing the overall athleticism and skill of kids throughout their life course so that they can continue to be physically active. Also recognizing that and physical educators, unfortunately, in my estimation, don't get a class in pediatric exercise science. So they use that adult model again. So what do we do? We put heart rate monitors on kids. Man, the, the overall increase in aerobic work in kids throughout childhood and adolescence is small. If you look at the difference, you have a, a class of third graders and fourth graders, you're looking at your predicted maximum heart rate, which most kids can exceed, by the way. But you look at that and then you come up with their formula. It's so darn close. It's, it's so negligible to be not practically meaningful in a phys ed setting. 
but we think that that's a great way for kids to really figure out how to do work and engage and use technology in our curriculum. I mean, it's really a heart rate monitor. It's really not that much when you think of technology, in my estimation. It's a tool, and it's kind of fun to use, but to use that as your backbone of cardiovascular fitness for elementary school children is really impractical. So if you look at our position paper, we have a, a list of all the different fitness attributes, 10 of them that we have listed. At the bottom of that list is cardiovascular and motor capacity, different things looking at um, metabolic capacity, I mean, aerobic and metabolic capacity, because it'll develop over time, especially if you give kids the opportunity to play and grow on their own and to participate in sports. But it doesn't, it should not necessarily be the primary focus of a training program for a kid. They should get all the different fundamental skills. just going to take a short break from our discussion with Rick on long-term athletic development to let you know that we recently made some uh, changes to iphyzed.com. If you head over to the website, uh, iphyzed.com, so I-P-H-Y-S-E-D.com, you will notice some visual changes to the way that the website looks. Um, and if you dig a little deeper, you'll also notice that we've added a heap of new content, some new resources, uh, some new products to our online store. And in the coming weeks and months, we'll be adding some further resources, free resources, as well as our online courses. We currently have two online courses in development. The next two online courses that we'll be releasing um, as part of our online learning platform will be around the assessment of fundamental movement skills as well as purposeful game design. So if you head on over to iphyzed.com, you can see some of the new changes to the site. You can see some of the new content um, and hopefully you'll find something there that uh, piques your interest. But for now, let's get back to our discussion with Rick Howard. Sure. And something that you, you touched on earlier as well uh, around that idea of fitness testing, I think it, it's the same sort of idea of that adult model of, you know, we, we force these fitness tests on kids um, for, for what need and for what purpose, I, I feel like. And especially, um, and I know some people are, are in situations where their, their state or the district or whoever is in charge of their school requires that. But I think it's, you know, it, it's such a shame that, that again, we're, we're trying to force this adult model on kids in terms of, of fitness because I, I know myself as an adult who someone who is physically active, I don't go out and fitness test myself on a regular basis. So why, why are we spending so much of our time during physical education classes doing that? I, I think a large part of that was, was back when uh, phys ed was seeking to be recognized as a um, core subject and you had to have an assessment attached to that. Although the, the assessment was chosen, uh, said within it that it wasn't supposed to be used for that purpose necessarily. So that kind of uh, created a conundrum in a way of, of how we're going to move forward. But if you look at it, it's, uh, you could also call it sagittal, Graham. And, you know, uh, I don't want to pick on any one testing model because it's kind of been the same over the years. If we don't look at overall fitness of kids, there are 10 different fitness components. Why are we testing only five? That's not telling us the whole picture. And if you look at it longitudinally, there's very little evidence that looking at those as a kid really has a significant outcome in adulthood because you're absolutely right for testing as an adult. This started for me as a process. I actually went to the president's council office a number of years ago. I want to see what the data was. Like, why don't we have a lifetime fitness test? If we're so excited about lifetime fitness, why isn't there a test that we could use all the way through childhood, adolescence, young and late adulthood 
that tells us where we are in comparison with ourselves, where we've been, and with others, where we could go. It's different. It keeps changing. Our adult fitness test is very different from what we give kids. We don't use very many of the same tests at all. So, you know, I can't imagine that we would use some of those tests per se. Kids really don't want to run on a treadmill. <laughs> but neither do adults for that matter. There are different ways of doing those tests and so we can get the same results. I think that the uh, what they call now the yo-yo intermittent test is a test that most people do enjoy. It's probably one of the most valid tests that are out there for all populations. So it should be used more. But why don't we test the broad jump? That used to be tested in kids all the time. Broad jump, vertical jump, two great um, indicators of lower body power, horizontally and vertically. And you can see a lot from kids and what they need to grow and develop from that particular test. There are different balance tests that are sometimes used that we could figure out for kids. A lot of stuff that you actually see in the research, but there was such a disparity between what was being used in physical education, what the World Health Organization was recommending. Uh, there was a group that was put together in the States to kind of get back to that old nationwide fitness testing module. And they looked at some of the tests and determined which ones were actually valid and which ones weren't. And when you look at a lot of the tests that are given in schools, they're not even valid. Back saver sit and reach is not a valid test for just about any population I could think of. But then if you look at it, like, why did they use that? I'm like, well, it's, it's a measure, so we use it as a measure. Man, if I think if any principal got a hold of that and said, what, we're giving a non-valid test in the test in the classroom? Why would we do that? We would never do that in math or in, in history or in English and say, hey, you know what, good news, Mr. Prin Mr. and Mrs. Principal, I'm going to give an invalid test, but it's the only thing I have to do, so that's the one I'm going to use. What do you think of that? It would never happen. So, you know, I think a lot of times when we, try, when we think that we're getting the respect that we should as a discipline, we really need to look a little bit more closely about some of the research that's out there and what we could actually do to move our kids ahead farther rather than just... Uh, unfortunate saying we're just drinking Kool-Aid. Somebody said we should do it, so that's what we do. We don't really go back and look at the foundation of why we do that. I think that's one of the things that uh, in in my understanding or my opinion is that as a as a profession we've we've spent too long jumping back and forth on the the next big thing. Um, and we don't actually have in our own estimation an idea of or a, a good self worth of ourselves as a as a profession. I feel like if we, if everybody has said like, hey, we're, we're physical education, this is what we do and this is why we do it. And this is, you know, that, that idea of, of wanting kids to be, to be active long into their adulthood, but it, it's this constant changing between trying to prove that, okay, there's medical evidence that proves that uh, brain development happens through physical education, or we're going to lose weight, or we're going to get fitter, or we're going to do this, or we're going to do that. No, we're just, with physical education, we're trying to get kids to be active and enjoy being active for the rest of, uh, rest of their lives, full stop. And I think if the sooner that we can do that as a as a profession, I think the the better it, it may it may make us take a couple of steps backwards because people may look at us and say, "Hey, hang on a second. Well, that's that's not good enough." But then, through I think weight of numbers and through people constantly advocating for that and showing that this is actually making a difference, I think that then we can start to start to move forward and, and hopefully with things like long term athletic development and um, I guess physical literacy as a, as another sort of um, way to to express that um hopefully that's something that 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 can actually unite people behind rather than sort of jumping back and forward um in mentioning physical literacy what is, is there a link between long-term athletic development and physical literacy because as you're explaining it to me it, it sounds quite similar in terms of the concepts and the, the ideas behind it 
Well, there have been a couple different definitions of physical literacy, too, and I, I think that's part of the equation we need to factor in here, but the answer is yes. Actually, LTAD is a framework that helps us to develop physical literacy. Physical literacy is still the big overarching goal. In fact, what LTAD is, has done for us, it enables us to take the constructs of physical education, sports, physical activity, and physical literacy, and put it together in a sensible way so that we can actually get to all those. And, and I hope we can quote what you were saying before about our testing and, and, and the focus of physical education, because we really strongly believe that if we can make that the focus of physical education, all the other things that we've been talking about are crystallized. But it puts it together in such a manner that it really does return the physical educator as a professional that we've always wanted to be. And you, know, you could actually go out at night and, and be proud to tell everybody I'm the phys ed teacher. We've kind of dummied that down in some respect, and we've allowed that to happen, unfortunately. It, it's kind of our fault. But I, I think, like you said, we need to take those reins back. Physical literacy is now a global term that we use to develop. And, and you know, a lot of physical educators say, well, wait a minute. Isn't that what physical education is? Uh, it's what physical education was. It's not what it is now. So I, I think we can use that term to bring physical education back to that subject that we knew that it could be in terms of developing all kids. And Margaret Whitehead, who's the modern advocate of physical literacy from the UK, and, and she defines it very well, that it's within your given level of endowment. It does not mean that we're trying to get everybody to be the next great superstar. Yes, there are going to be those, and that's great. We need to nurture them, just like we need to nurture every kid in school who excels at a subject. But we also need to mostly make sure that every kid gets the fundamental levels of knowledge, skills, and abilities, if we look at it from the old classic way of figuring it out, of what they need to know in all the different content areas, even in physical education. And we need to look at the effective domain as well. So it's not just that physical part, but how do we get kids to take control and, and take advantage of everything they have and then start to create their own pathways of being able to move forward? And unfortunately, I think we do the same thing with that that we do with everything else. We say, Let's create our adult fitness model. Here's our adult fitness center. Here's where you want to go. So this is what we're going to create our pathway for in physical education. Wow, look at the data on how many people actually go to a fitness center when they're older. Why not take what kids love to do and just keep building on it? Because that's what will keep them going is get their intrinsic motivation. It's something they love. Make it something they love. There was that terrible report, I, I guess you probably saw in the New York Times the other day, about kids' perceptions of phys ed as kids really have a significant impact on their overall physical activity as adults. So some of the kids, they said some of those people really had harbored some deep feelings about phys ed over the years. And I thought about it and I'm like, whoever asked the kids, part of what we really need to do and what LTAD and what physical literacy all do is it helps to keep us engaged with the kids and say, how's this? Does this work? We can kind of gauge them as they go along with their skill development, with their involvements, with their interests and stuff. And, and I thought about it. I'm like, that. well, you know, that's something I haven't really seen much in phys ed. There is sometimes when I taught, I taught phys ed briefly, actually. But when I taught phys ed, I always want to know what the kids thought. What do you think of this? We actually had units of soccer at the time. And the kids didn't want to play soccer. They said, we've done soccer every year. Can we please not do it this year? I'm like, I'll tell you what. If you can pass the Burton test, if you can pass the performance test, we won't do it. They didn't believe me, and they all passed with flying colors, by the way, because the level of skill improvement every year was negligible. So different from sixth grade soccer, by the time I got them from their elementary school, wasn't that much different. It was easy for them. So we actually got to focus on, like, what do you love? They all love basketball. I'm like, all right. 
So we actually created conditioning programs for basketball, strategies to get better at different stations for basketball. And they used that. They loved it because it was really based on what they wanted to do. And I don't think we do enough of that that we should. Yeah, that I really think, is physical literacy. I think that's something like when, if we're talking about this this bigger system of, of uh, forcing adult ideas on kids, I think then that trickles down into into those physical education classes. When when the end goal is that, then of course we're then forcing things on kids that they're not they're not interested in. So I think you're right, trying to engage kids where they're at and what they're interested in, um, and and trying to nurture that. It's it's hard. It's a hard job because you're going to have you may have a, a class of thirty kids with thirty different interests. So how do you how do you nurture that? But you know that's work that's worth doing in in my opinion. I think rather than just saying like well we're going to do basketball again or we're going to do soccer again because that's what we always do in September. That's our, that's our month of September. We're going to play basketball and whether you like it or not, that's what's happening. And that's when we start to crush those, those kids spirits. And that's when you get that, that idea of, you know, not enjoying physical education and then not enjoying being, being active um, long into their, into their adulthood. So um, I think I like that idea. You've talked about long-term athletic development and the the model and the framework being there to support physical literacy. And one of the things that I really love is I've seen diagrams out there uh, where it sort of looks like this this pyramid type shape. But the the biggest part of that is just um, active participation, that the the elite sport pathway is such a narrow pathway. And then you've got competitive um, sport as, a, as another narrow pathway. But the large majority of that um, that framework is just about getting people to be active for their for their lifespan, which I think is is if if I look at that model, I think it, it, it really just speaks to me and, and hopefully speaks to other people in a really easy way and says like, hey, this is this is what this is um, designed to do. And this is why this is such an important um important concept um we're sort of getting towards about 30 minutes which is where i like to sort of um keep these episodes if i can so um i I feel like we could continue to talk about this for for a long time but uh, i I do want to sort of uh, move on if we can um i'm going to be speaking to some other teachers in the next few weeks about long-term athletic athletic development or athletic development and how they're actually trying to implement that into their uh, their school program and, and sort of try to backward design their, their school program uh, using that long-term athletic development framework. What advice would you have for, for physical education teachers or coaches out there who, who want to take this, um, this model or this framework and sort of try and implement it in their school? That's a great question. I, I don't think you need to go it alone, and, and I think there are a lot of people who are doing great work. So we have collected a group of people in different cities around the U.S. so far to uh, get together to talk about that. So for LTAD, we came up with, like you said before, what's the awareness? What is LTAD? What does it do? How does it affect physical literacy? How is it really child-based? And then what's the action for it? So creating a curriculum in physical education is part of that action plan. And then who's accountable for it? How are we going to make sure that we get results? So I think those are the key pieces. But for physical education teachers, I think looking at uh, basically if you look at the framework that we've created in the position statement and we have what's called the composite youth development model. It's a one pager. It's pretty easy to look at. So you can see kind of where the development of different skills are. And essentially the cool part is that we can develop those skills all across childhood and adolescence. So how do you integrate fun activities for kids that develop those systematically without actually having to think like you said, all right, we're going to do a soccer unit, we're going to do this unit, or we're going to spend the whole month doing 40 ways to do push-ups. You know, that doesn't really excite most kids, but how do you integrate different games? Like how do you do tag games with push-ups or different things that will build 
that particular fitness attribute is really the way to go. And um, I, I think we're really trying to get more engaged with some of the leadership within health and physical education, show them how this works, how this could look. And we have several folks from around the U.S. who have actually already created their model. So I, I think we could give you um, where we have our conversations about that. And they could certainly join that conversation. We'd be more than happy to work together with them to help create a model that really is sustainable in physical education. That's fantastic. Um, so I guess as we sort of wrap this up a little bit, I, I like to finish with uh, some sort of quick questions, uh, sort of 25 words or less answers. Um, I try and ask the same sort of questions to, to all my guests. Um, so the first one is uh, what's something people don't know about you, Rick? Uh, I probably don't know that I'm a competitive strong man. Oh, wow. I love strong man training and um, uh, I've competed in the master's class. And it's uh, reinvigorated my whole outlook on life. You know, even though I love working out in the gym, it just gave me a fresh direction. And when did you, uh, when did you start taking that up? I took it, I started about six years ago. Um, I entered my first contest probably about three years ago. It was horrible. So I continue to get better and I've actually uh, won the Delaware State Masters for the past couple of years. Wow. Congratulations. Um, okay. So the next quick question I normally ask is uh, what's something that you're not very good at? Remembering names, okay. Not very, and, and I, I try and I try, and, and you know, my, my wife is a superstar. She'll say, "Hey, remember such and so and such and so? We met them twelve years ago here." I have no idea. And in the classroom, I still keep trying to come up with creative ways, getting the students to help me remember. And I'm, I'm just still not that good at it. I keep trying. Um, and sort of linked to that, something that uh, I think is very, very important is the idea of being okay with failure. Um, I think that you, you learn best when you fail and, and, and having that, uh, I guess, confidence to be able to try new things, knowing that, that there's the potential to fail. Um, can you tell me about a time that you, you experienced failure and, and what you learned from that failure? Hmm. Which time should I choose? <laughs> That's a, it's a tough question actually to, to try to figure that out. And I would say probably, um, some of the physical education lessons that I had. You know, they, they didn't go the way I hoped. And, you know, I love phys ed and I couldn't, I couldn't believe that students came in and didn't like it. And I couldn't always reach students in the, in the particular class. So it wasn't working. And so I kind of backed it up. And that's when I really handed the class back over to students. I said, all right, what do you want to learn? All right, here, here's what I came up with, what I know and what I know I should be able to do. But what is it that you want and how can we create this in a way that works for you? So turning it around helped. Yeah, that's something that I, I definitely agree with. And I, I say to people all the time when I present it at workshops and events, you know, like if you came and watched me teach, you know, probably more than more often than not, it's a pretty horrible lesson because I'm trying to to do things that are maybe outside the box or, or extraordinary. But every time I do that, I learn and I improve and, you know, I'm not just, you know, pulling out the same lesson plan that I, that I used last year and, and trying to do it again. I'm always trying to, to make it better. And, you know, sometimes that that's going to be not great, but I think that having that confidence to be able to try that and fail um, is something that I think is a really valuable skill for, for all educators and, and coaches. Um, and my last question, we've sort of touched on it a little bit um, throughout the, throughout the episode, but uh if uh, if you were in charge of, uh, I guess, physical education and coaching worldwide and you had one thing that you were going to, to say to everyone that this is the most important thing that we should be doing, uh, what, what is that? 
wow, one thing, focus on the kids. And it, it sounds so easy, but, you know, we've had the conversation for the last half hour or so. We think we are and we're not. We're still using adult-centric concepts to drive what we're doing with kids. I think we really need to turn that back around and focus on the kids. What is going to help them get to that next level wherever they are? How do they get to that next level and what can we do to help them? I was really hoping that you were going to say that. I, was, I, I had a feeling that's what it was going to be. So I'm glad, I'm glad that you, uh, you said that. And I think that's a really fantastic way for us to, to wrap this conversation up. Like I said, we, I feel like we could keep uh, talking for a long time, but I think that we've got the most important points of uh, the message about long-term athletic development and keeping kids at the center of everything that we do across um, in the last half an hour or so. Um, if people do want to find out more about the work that you're doing, um, the, the people that you're working with, long-term athletic development, uh, where can they get in contact with you? What's the best way to sort of learn about the work that you're doing? Uh, well, it's social media, R.I. Howard 41. So you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram that way. Uh, I also run a page through the National Strength and Conditioning Association. It's a Facebook page. So if you go to NSCA LTAD SIG for Special Interest Group, you can join that group. We have regular conversations on there. Uh, that tells you about different chats that we put together every month. We also do LTAD playgrounds, which are live events throughout different cities. We have one coming up in a couple of weeks in West Virginia. Uh, then we'll be out in Salt Lake City. So we're going all around the country talking on a grassroots level, getting people engaged in LTAD. So all of those announcements actually show up on that page. Okay, great. I'll be sure to uh, include those in the, in the show notes for this episode as well. Um, so Rick, first of all, thank you so much for everything that you do for physical education, coaching, fitness, sports, kids. Um, I, I, on behalf of myself, I really appreciate the work that you do. And I uh, am an avid follower of all the, the stuff you're putting out there. So thank you so much for that. And thank you so much for giving up some of your time to, to chat with me today on, on the Phys Ed cast. I think that a lot of people are going to get a lot of uh, a lot from listening to this episode. So uh, thanks very much. If you want to get in contact with Rick, uh, you can contact him on social media um, or check out the Facebook group that he just mentioned. Rick, thank you so much for, for joining us today. Um, enjoy the rest of your weekend and I hope to chat with you again soon. Sounds great. Thank you. What an absolute pleasure it was to chat with Rick about long-term athletic development. I hope that you got something out of this episode, whether that's a deeper understanding of the concept of long-term athletic development or how you might go about implementing that in your situation, whether you be a physical educator, a coach, a teacher, or any uh, anywhere in the fitness or, or youth industry. Um, I highly recommend checking out Rick's Facebook group that he mentioned in the episode. Uh, there's a lot of great content and discussion happening there right now. For those of you who are just discovering the Phys Ed cast, uh, please make sure you go back and check out some of our previous episodes. Our last episode with Melanie Levenberg, the founder of Dance Play, was uh, a fantastic episode. And we also have other episodes uh, with Doug Gleddy, as well as Dr. Stephen Harvey and the godfather of Phys Ed, Artie Kamiya. 
We have a heap more episodes coming up uh, to be released over the coming weeks and months. I know it's been a bit of uh, a gap between the last episode and this one, but I am planning on getting the next couple of episodes out very, very quickly. So if you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe to the show uh, using your preferred podcast provider. And we'd really, really, really love it if you could just take the time to go onto iTunes and give us a five-star rating and review that will really help this podcast get out there to more and more people. So if you have a couple of spare minutes, I would really, really appreciate that. For now, my name's Nathan Horn from iPhysEd.com. This has been the PhysEd Cast, and I look forward to seeing you again soon for another episode. <laughs>